Hello, and welcome to Beyond Digital, a B4B podcast brought to you by DMI. In this podcast, we move beyond the transactional B2B conversation and focus on B4B storytelling. We dive into the unique journeys of industry disruptors, change makers, and the thought leaders that are driving transformation through a new model, one based on shared value and ecosystem mindset in the convergence of business and technology. We discuss all things digital evolution, from optimizing technology and transforming business models to innovating at the edge. Join us as we retrace the footsteps of these leaders, hear about their successes and challenges as we move beyond digital together. Hello, and welcome to episode four of Beyond Digital by DMI. I'm your host, Adam Kleschinski. Thanks for joining. It's often said that necessity is the mother of invention. And as consumer needs change over time, so do the evolutionary pressures that lead to advancements in technology. What was once a competitive advantage for one company suddenly becomes a requirement for the survival of an entire industry. And we've seen this happening across industries, including travel, healthcare, automotive, and retail commerce. Today, we're joined by Will Broom, founder and CEO of Uber Market and Aaron Krieger, creative director of DMI's own experience group, to discuss the before and after impact of the pandemic on the retail commerce space as we navigate this new normal and how companies are leveraging technology not only to survive, but to thrive within those new opportunities. I'm gonna hand it over to Will and Aaron for some brief introductions and, uh, and thank you both. Thanks for making time to join the call today. Aaron, would you mind telling us a little bit about your background and uh, What's brought you to your, your current role here with DMI? Sure, yeah. I'm the creative director here at DMI's Experience Group. I've been uh, with the team for about eight years now. My background is tradi- traditional graphic design. Um, and over time, I've just added more and more stuff to my arsenal. Uh, the team I oversee um, works on brand marketing, which includes UX UI work as well, which is uh, the work we've done with Will. And um, it's a pleasure to be here today. Great. Thanks, Aaron. And uh, Will, over to you. Okay, cool. So my name's Will Broom. I am the founder and CEO of Ubermarket, which uh, Adam uh, has obviously mentioned in the intro. Uh, I'd like to think that I'm um, probably the most awkward client that DMI could have, but in a good way, because um, uh, we have been creating something really quite special here and, and something that's becoming increasingly relevant, which it, which is really great. Um, my background, I've got a very, very background. I had a, a I won't go into it now, but I had a, a crazy upbringing in the theme park industry in both the UK and the US. Um, then when I was at university, I went off and, and did marketing for a, a company that sent Broadway musicals on tour around the US, which was amazing, based in Dallas, Texas. So I, so I spent a lot of time in the US. Um, and then I came back to the UK and um, joined one of the biggest um, PR agencies in London, which actually is also an American company, um, and um, and looked after lots of major brands there. Then I set up a dot-com um, business in the hospitality industry. Um, and then finally, it all culminated with moving into the um, uh, the app world. Um, and, and I founded Ubermarket uh, really back in 2015, 2016 now, but it's been a long time in the making. Um, and I've been working very closely with, with DMI since that, since the inception, really. If you can, I, I, I've heard the story, but I know that our listeners would love to hear it. I, I want to be able to compare from both of your perspectives, the, the sort of before and after and, and what the new normal looks like. The original idea of Uber market, right? Because I know that this, you know, that that's sort of the umbrella brand. There are two apps 
sort of that have been developed underneath that won dozens of awards uh, for both. Um, but, you know, the original concept and what that was and the value drivers around that before before the pandemic. And then and then we're going to pause and, and look at how that changed and, and, and how, and how you had to pivot around that. So yeah, can you yeah. tell us a little more? Okay. Yeah. Amazing. So, so basically where it all came from, and this is a really, really key point. It was a very, well, it was kind of a very small, simple idea initially and crucially, well, there's two crucial parts to it. One is it came entirely from a consumer perspective because I was a consumer. And secondly, it came from someone who wasn't in the retail industry. Yes, I was in the PR industry and I was doing PR for brands like Unilever and, and Wonderbra, funny enough, and various other brands like that, Max Factor, Vidal Sassoon, lots of fashion brands. Um, but I was not in the retail sector as such. So I was... Um, Long story short, I lived in London, moved out of London, had a young family, um, and every Friday night I'd come back on the train from London to to the place where we lived, and I would inevitably get an enormous text message on my phone. This is back in 2011, 2012, um, so quite early days of iPhones in a way. Um, and I would walk into a supermarket with a list of like 20 things on my phone, which would increase in size as I went around the store because I keep getting more text messages saying, get this and that. And not only did I not know what half the things were, but I definitely didn't know where they were. And I thought, wouldn't this just be so much easier if this text message just magically jumped into the right order and told me where to find this stuff? Um, and then I started doing lots of research and development on it just you know, while I was running my other business, which was a dot-com business in the hospitality and entertainment world. Talked to a few friends and started putting some wireframes together and thought that would be cool. But the world's moving really fast. If it just did that one thing really well, that's not enough because when you're finding the stuff, why can't you then scan them? Why can't you just f find out what the ingredients are, the, the allergies? Why can't you then tap to pay without having to go to the till? And so what happened, which was a blessing and a curse really, is I, I went full blown with everything I could imagine this thing doing, um, actually way ahead of its time. And even though everyone thought it was a really cool idea, I started speaking at lots of events and they'd always give me the subject title. The, 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 the title of my talk was always Store of the Future. And my argument would be, no, it's not Store of the Future. We've actually built this prototype right now. It's the Store yeah, of right, store now. right now. Yeah. yeah, nobody could quite get their head around it. So, and, and there was, you know, I've skipped ahead several years because there was a lot of work specifically with DMI building this. I remember on my first day going to the DMI office in London, I turned up and I'm not kidding, there were five or six people who turned up and one guy came in with a suitcase and I said, well, here are all these people. And the guy at the time who was our account director in the very early days said, well, this is Esteban from our Cambodia office. This is, uh, this is Chris from the Sweden office. And I was like, wow. And I remember saying, who's paying for all this? And he looked at me with a blank face and said, well, you are obviously. And I was like, oh my God, this is serious. So, so the point is we brought real. <laughs> a whole international team from everywhere and we put old school post-it notes around all the walls. And it was a bit like, you know, the guys from DMI took my concept in great painstaking detail and helped me make my vision a, a, a reality with the tech that was available. And I think one of the strengths of what we created over those years is that because I wasn't coming from a specific technical background, even though I'd run a dot-com brand, and I wasn't coming from a specific retail brand, it was all from the consumer perspective, but it was also all from me trying to tell technical guys what the app needs to do and them telling me that that's not quite possible and me just not accepting that and saying, well, we've got to make it possible. We just have to make it possible because otherwise it's going to cause more work than less work and it's got to solve problems, not cause more. So it was a painstaking long process, but it all came from that magic shopping list idea. And then fast forwarding right to today, 
we've not only trademarked the phrase magic shopping list, but this is a total thing that just happened. I mean, I, I was going to say, I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to say it, but I am allowed to say it because it, it happened on Friday, that we've now got a, a US patent for the magic shopping list as well, which is amazing. So, so, so basically, um, it, it's that, that interactive modular shopping list at the heart of everything, which everything kind of revolves around, is a very, very powerful uh, part of the mechanism. And then you've got the scanning and the payment and, and everything else, the data and everything that comes with it. But yeah, but it all came from the magic shopping list concept and that's what sits at the heart of all the other stuff that it does. And, and of course, Aaron's been absolutely instrumental in making that, you know, user friendly and, and getting the user experience absolutely world class, which is essential. You can have the greatest app in the world, but if it's not if it's not a joy to use and doesn't look beautiful, I often say to Aaron, we've just got to make this look really, really pretty at all times. Um, and that makes such a huge difference. It's everything, really. Yeah, I mean, the, the important thing with all of that is making it frictionless, right? Like, I don't know anybody who enjoys going grocery shopping. So we don't want to make it like an additional hurdle to go to the store, get what's on your list, shop and get out. Um, the way we'll sort of set it up is that it's, it's quick and easy. And that's always been sort of like the guiding principle throughout the design and development of this is making sure it's not too complicated for the end user. Exactly. And what it does is it removes all the pinch points. And as Aaron says, it removes all the unenjoyable bits and leaves the bits that you might possibly enjoy, which is go around and decide what you're going to buy and enjoy that experience, knowing you're not going to have to wait in line, knowing that you're going to automatically get your loyalty points, you're automatically going to get all the offers. You don't have to think for yourself, basically. All you have to think about is what you want to buy and, and eat, basically. Um, and, and it's important to note, it's not just grocery. It can work in, you know, we're talking to department stores in in Holland and and uh, uh, food uh, food to go stores in New Zealand. It, it, it's for any type of retail, but grocery is hands down the most complicated type of retail because you have hundreds of thousands of SKUs in stores. You have um, every variable. You have the same product that has six different types of offer: member offers, loyalty offers, two for one offers. You know, if you buy certain items with other items, the pricing changes. All this kind of stuff has to be built into the logic. And the amount of major international retailers who have looked at us and thought, oh, we can do that ourselves and tried, 99.9% of the time they fail because it just takes too long and there are too many different nuances and variables for them to take take into account. So, And we've done all that hard work. So that, that's the difference. And different business models to drive different feature prioritization. So if you look at stores that have gas included, we've been talking about how we can incorporate fuel into the the checkout flow. And um, so there's a lot of conversation about building that roadmap out for different business models because not every store is identical. Yeah, exactly. And we have the versatility and speed to, to be able to do that. Whereas, whereas um, you know, some of the bigger guys just don't have that bandwidth, you know? Mm-hmm. Now with that, you know, Aaron, you just mentioned the, the fuel points and things of that nature. I think of like loyalty programs and people, you know, accumulating points and, things of that nature as well. Is that, is that a consideration in, in this or? Yeah, that, that's also a part of it. Um, yeah, we did that more on that. And, and Aaron's actually been, been, um, you know, this is all, this is all relatively sort of, well, I say new, we've, we've done it now, but it's, we're doing it on the hospitality side enormously. So it's the collection and redemption of points. But as Aaron says, every customer has slightly different requirements. Yeah. Someone the models are different. Yeah. Yeah. Someone wants a Starbucks style loyalty thing. Someone wants 
you know, like the old fashioned stamps on a card, but they want to do it on an app. Um, others want already have, you know, a lot of the big retailers already have uh, a, a loyalty system that they use, but it's not really fit for purpose because because of the data our app collects in real time, um, it, it kind of does automatic loyalty better than the old fashioned loyalty systems. I would but, think so. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I was leaning with with that question, and, and it was also, you know, my brain was starting to um, think of the uh, data monetization side of it as well, right? Where you, depending on the customer, right? It could be just be a, a, whether it's an individual shop or a small chain, um, where that that's the sort of data that that you know that that kind of brings them into you know sort of the you know out of the cave and into the modern times. But for some of these mega chains, um, you know, there are quite a few here in in the U.S. that are just that that's their whole game is 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 that tracking of that data and the monetization of that data and and, and the targeted ads and marketing from there definitely and if you think about it traditional loyalty schemes even the best ones the data you get from those is all purchase pattern data what did people buy with us it's behavior pattern data when did they write their list what did they put on their list when they went in the store did they buy what they put on their list or did they go for another brand are they more likely to buy something that's not on their list in r3 compared to r2 and if so why are that you know there is so much data that you can glean uh, for all the right reasons and then you can start automatically highlighting offers to specific app users you know they have the carousel on the screen and it starts to hyper personalize everything for the shopper on behalf of the store we, we're just launching with a, a store group in the uk called nisa which is spelled n-i-s-a and, and they um were um their, their logo looks very like visa which is weird and i think it's probably was done on purpose back in the day but anyway um and they were um and they were astonished when they were saying to us yeah but how do we put the offers on the app you know how, and we're like no, no no it's automatic it's all intrinsically linked and integrated with your point of sale system anything you do on that system is reflected automatically in real time in the app you don't have to think about it you just point the app you switch the app on and go when, when you say the app really this you know uber market if you can explain to the folks who are, are tuning in here like the app so uber market is an umbrella from there i see now that there are there are two apps right uh, one is the, the scan pay go and the other is the um nom right yeah so can you and you mentioned hospitality as well so where where did that breakage occur where there was there was kind of differentiation and, and, and a different opportunity because it, from what i understand it it did happen before the pandemic kind of took it, its break. it did and, and there's a reason it happened before so very simply the uber market app is a scam pay go app where for example if you used all the features you write a shopping list you walk into a store it tells you where your, it rearranges your list magically tells you where where to find everything you scan everything as you go around the store um it tells you what allergens are in products and and tells you what offers you're getting gives you a running total of the cost um and then at the end of it you tap to pay and you walk out without having to go to a, a, a till or wait in line so so it's a really frictionless interactive way also the store can communicate with the shopper because they can send push notifications entice people into the store and say oh well you'll get an offer on this product whereas you know this is exclusive to app users or this is exclusive to, to you that sort of thing so that's great now so with that in place a lot well, of the can, I, can, I, can i pause for for one second it, it sounds like does that that doesn't require any additional hardware for the no. And that's absolutely key. And, and it's a whole other issue we'll talk about later, but but the Just Walk Out technology that Amazon Go are doing and various others, um, it's a, um, what we offer is completely um, software driven. So it's a, a lot, lot cheaper to, to, to install and run, obviously. 
but it's also far more dynamic, far more interactive. Uh, the only difference is with ours, you hold your phone up to the product and scan it as opposed to just put the product in your bag. But then you don't need entry gates into the store. You don't need the cameras, the motion sensors. Any of that. Bed, yeah. you know, any of that millions of dollars of hardware basically super so, simplified yeah uh, yeah so so and actually those just walk out stores still need an app to be the consumer facing side to scan people into the stores and pay so might as well be our app anyway so we can pivot a bit there and provide the shop magic shopping list app to go with the amazon go just walk that's, that's just you know pitching out to amazon there but it, it, we could be the interactive consumer face of something like amazon go for example if, if they if they wanted to have that touch point as well so that was the retail app that was gaining big traction it was ahead of its time and now actually more than ever we're being inundated with inquiries all over the world for it which is great and we're doing some great things with with dmi in the us on that front um when we were dealing with a lot of these retailers some of them have cafes bars restaurants well not bars but cafes and restaurants attached to the grocery stores um and they started saying well could you do an app so you can order stuff off the menu and, and do it you know at the same time as you're doing your shopping so we started thinking about it then i had this friend who was launching a major um very high profile bar on the seafront in brighton on the south coast of the uk and he said well if you can repurpose your app slightly we could be your uh, um you know you could put your app into our place and we could use it as a bit of prototype showcase so that is the thing that clinched it really and we went to town on it and um Aaron, who was very experienced on on the retail side, we pivoted. You know, we slightly changed the design and and the and the look and feel of it to work better in a as a magic menu. The simplest way to describe it actually is, and we've registered these trademarks. The the retail app is the magic shopping list, and the hospitality app is the magic menu. So, and then the way I originally thought of it, it's like a, um, it's like a sort of you know, like a Harry Potter newspaper where it's like a, like a traditional menu, but you click up and down it and you can like click on things, customize things. Say, yeah, I want three of those and just tap when you want it to arrive at your table and it will magically just come and arrive at your table. So it's an interactive menu. But so many, um, it, there are so many of them popping up now which aren't properly linked to the pause, but we had all the experience of doing that with the retail apps. That's a massive advantage and puts us in the top 1% of the, the, the real-time interactivity. Uh, and secondly, it's the and I, I know I keep coming back to Erin here as if I as if you know I love her, but I well I do love you, Erin, because you've been amazing. And 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 the whole UX side of this app in particular is absolutely crucial, because if you think about it, near most the pandemic came along and suddenly every pub, bar, restaurant in the world for two reasons needed this kind of app. Reason number one is there was this whole social distancing thing. People didn't want to congregate at a busy bar. People had to keep two meters apart and sit at tables and table service only and all the rest of it. Secondly, in the UK, there are two further problems. One is there just aren't enough people working in bars and restaurants anymore. And Brexit, a whole other issue, has caused that as well because there are many less European um, sort of temporary staff in, in, in the summer months and all the rest of it over here as well. So, so basically, the point is that... Um, there was a sudden need for these types of menu apps. So lots of substandard apps started popping up that weren't properly linked with the pause. They caused more trouble than it's worth because they started to, um, you know, all the orders went to a tablet and then people had to transpose that tablet onto the till system and things were getting lost and being forgotten about and going missing. And it was all an absolute nightmare. So ours is linked in real time and works really, really well. But we were developing this just before the pandemic hit. Then the pandemic hit suddenly there was not just a need for it the world was scrambling for it because people you know our first client who took this app needed this app to trade so it literally saved their business they, they've done you know they've done over half a million dollars worth of trade through this app in, in a matter of months uh, because they had to put all their trade through the app because there was no bar service so 
So, yeah, so suddenly what the pandemic did on the hospitality side in particular, but now also the retail side, is accelerate the adoption of technology in retail and hospitality by, I predict, about three years, but it might even be more like five years. Um, and not only because people are want this tech because it's more convenient if you're sitting at a table ordering or if you go into a supermarket people nowadays it's just in people's psyche now they they don't want to um they don't want to have to tap a dirty um you know self-checkout screen that six thousand other people have tapped that day they don't want to pick up someone else's basket or or cart um they don't they don't want to be too close to people they don't want to be you know so so everything about those those are the standard constraints right and those are standard constraints across across the board it's the it's not it's the distancing it's the it's the sanitation it's the no touch and all those things that were that previously those were not necessarily considered even value adds, no, right? They were peripheral. Well, we, we actually had someone who used our original app um, in a store saying, I love this because every time I go in the store, I don't like the cashiers handling all my goods and then putting them back in my bag. And, and I thought that was weird at the time. Now well, that's the germaphobes, right? And, and eventually, yeah. you know, we're, we're all like, well, this is actually much more important than what than what we'd realized. Yeah. So, so it's that kind of shift that I'm, that, that I think is most interesting. And, and again, it's back to kind of what I said in the introduction, where what is a competitive advantage, right. And maybe even an unknown, you know, trait, we take it back to Darwin, right. These unknown traits, these kind of latent genes that are built into a design and then, you know, a, a, a disruptor, you know, event happens. And all of a sudden those, those needs become elevated and they actually become opportunities or really survival requirements for, for so many so many folks. Yeah, the other thing too is I know we're focusing on the end consumer app um, as a part of this project. Also, we're building backends so that the stores and the restaurants are able to manage orders and um, click and collect pickups and things like that. So there's there's still like the end customer, but also the business need and requirement to build a platform so they can manage all of that as well. Um, so it makes it a little bit more complicated, but the idea behind the back office is just making it easier for the, the, the stores and the restaurants to function. Now, Aaron, I think that's, that's an interesting point. And, and I want to stick on that for, for one moment, because from, from my perspective, and I'm always just kind of, I, I see business models everywhere, right. And it's a blessing and a curse, but through the pandemic, the, um, you know, some of these really big name food delivery apps, took full advantage in price gouging, both, both ends of the stick, yep. right? Um, there were business owners or small restaurant owners who it was a need to have, but all of a sudden, you know, you know, the consumer, the end user, I am paying twice as much for a burrito, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and they're, and, and they're, and they're getting gouged on their end too. And there's, this is not sustainable, right? Do we even use these big names? Um, you know, I, I feel like what what you develop through the through the NAM app actually kind of solves for that a, a little bit, right? How what are the advantages there now that we're? I think this conversation has moved kind of post pandemic now, right, and into this into the new model and how how things have changed um, and how the business model has changed for you. You know, you're right, and it's on both apps. It's not just hospitality on retail as well. So, so as Aaron was saying, 
the app original and it's again this is how we've pivoted and and actually the um the pandemic has has contributed to this enormously so basically the app the original concept on retail was you write a shopping list you go into a store you find all your stuff in store it makes the in-store experience so much more efficient um what we've now done is seen the massive expansion of click and collect curbside and, and home delivery but what we're doing is disintermediating really all those people you're talking about the likes of Deliveroo they're amazing but they charge a 30% delivery charge to, to the restaurant the restaurant have to hike up the prices everything becomes disproportionate so what we're effectively doing is giving the supermarket and the restaurant or bar or whoever it is their own branded curbside click and collect mechanism where the customer can just toggle and say I'm writing a shopping list actually I want to just go and click and collect this now and what will happen is as Aaron said the same app can be used by the store. So they'll receive the order from the customer and then that store, the person who works in the store can use the same app, get the customer's shopping list, go around, scan all the items, bag them for them and then say, right, this is paid for, done. So there's a mechanism for the trade side behind the scenes as well as there is for the front end consumer side. So it's all in one app. It's all branded to the store or the restaurant. And we've got restaurants saying to us, this is amazing because we're using, you know, at the moment we're using Deliveroo. They might well still use Deliveroo because Deliveroo have a great customer base, but we can have our own now delivery system um, all in the same app. And they can either deliver it themselves or we're integrated with various delivery, third-party delivery companies. We've got one we're integrating with now, which will charge at a fraction of the price of the other guys. Um, and they're very well, they're very well established, you know, worldwide. We're working with a big chain in Spain and France who, who are going to use it as well. Um, so the idea is we are putting stores and restaurants back in control of their own destiny. So I think to to put retailers and hospitality venues in control with their own mechanism which would otherwise have taken them years and cost them millions to develop but they can have this just in a license fee uh it is huge in the marketplace and it's becoming very very popular yeah and also when you look at when you look at food delivery too if you're going through a food delivery service you're paying a fee on top of that so that's revenue loss automatically so there's night there's something nice about the ownership of how you're running your business being with you and not with having to rely on third-party vendors where you're actually losing that revenue. What I'm hearing is like kind of the key value drivers in, in the present tense is that for them, I mean, this is very low cost to integrate. They're getting better data, bigger carts, right? Bigger cart size in general. 21% on average bigger if you use the app because you've got that direct line of communication and that's a fact based on our stores in the UK. So it's it's a huge uplift. Right. So Amazing. So that seems like a no-brainer. And then, and then for the end user, it's faster, period. It meets all of these new social constraints around COVID, right? And it, I mean, it's just a better customer experience. Definitely. And the same with hospitality. And on the uh, and another stat, which is interesting on hospitality, is our um, lead hospitality venue, the first one we work with, we're working with several now and, and lots of new groups coming on in, in, in London and, and beyond the UK as well. Um, the um, general manager of one of our um, bars, the way the app's used, told us that they're saving £2,000 a week in labour costs. Because, and they can't get the labour, you see. So it's not like they're laying anyone off. It's just they can't get the labour. So they, they have replaced actual personnel to the tune of $2,000 a week um, in what they're saving through the app. So it, it's absolutely huge. Not only are they making a lot more money, they're saving a lot more money as well. So it, it just absolute, you know, testimony to how efficient it can be when it's done well. When it's sure. done so bad, it, yeah, when, when we add the, the you know, I, I, I keep factoring labor in the, the supply chain issue that labor itself is, is on shortage, right? Um, and in that, it pays for itself. 
right? That that becomes the wash, right? The the, the calculus is very simple. It kind of okay. more than 10 times pays for itself, unfortunately. We've probably got- or, or, well, How's that, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it seems like a pretty, pretty uh, powerful value proposition, um, you know, from, from where I stand. You know, Aaron, I'm curious- from your perspective, right? From the from the DMI side, from the development side, from the UI UX side, pre and post, you know, as we move into post, I think this is a good opportunity for us to start thinking about, okay, so we we saw what this what this did, how this shaped this particular set of products, right? Um, but moving forward, right? What, you know, how do how do companies, how, how, how is DMI um, you know, uh, pivoted alongside our partners? And what's your perspective been on this? You know, I know that uh, our experience group uh, does a phenomenal job when it comes to that that customer experience. Um, but a big part of that is marketing as well. And I'm just curious about your your perspective on this. Yeah, overall, it's just seamless communication between Will and his team and our team to make sure that we're optimizing the app and looking at new features and making sure the integration makes sense so that we keep it a frictionless experience because you start out with an MVP in Will's case, maybe it had a lot more features in it than it needed to at the start, but over time we start building on it and iterating it. So constant communication around what that roadmap looks like, how those features should be designed and built out is crucial to make sure that we're overall successful. And our, our vision on innovation really lies. It's like a, a, a three-legged stool where we've got the business need and requirement. We've got, um, the human focus, making sure it's going to be easily usable for the end user and then the technical feasibility. So when you when you combine all of those together, we end up with a product that's going to be really successful and, and positive within that space. So as we talk about feature prioritization and, and road mapping and talking to different business models and understanding what's important to them, we can figure out the best approach to making both of those experiences the best that they can be. Um, on the marketing side, our our fun saying here is you can build it, but that doesn't mean they're going to come. So it's always important that you think about how you're taking your product to market. And Will does a great job. He's out there every day trying to chat up different stores and restaurants. We work closely with this team on in-store marketing materials to make sure that customers are aware that those stores have have the app in place and that they can use it. And so it, it's looking at that as well to make sure that Overall, the product is a success. And one of the things that's really key, just just adding to what Aaron was saying before, is that everything we build has to be modular and scalable. Because as as Aaron was saying, we've got different restaurant groups. Some of them are fast food restaurant chains. Some of them are fine dining restaurants. Some of them are cool clubs, and and you know, and and, and sort of high profile um, sort of society membership places and and the point is that when we have to build a points-based loyalty and redemption system for one or a delivery mechanism for another where erin really comes into this is helping us interpret that and does and, and do two things one is making the home screen of that app tell you everything that the app can do without looking busy and annoying and difficult to navigate so it has to be really seamless and simple but also being able to mean that we can slightly modify that loyalty system to work with a totally different type of restaurant or bar group uh, but use the same mechanism behind the scenes that we've built and i think the final thing i'll say is a more general sort of dmi trait if you like when i first wanted to build the retail app all those years ago, I was very much looking at it as an app that was going to be branded in market and it was going to be a big, you know, sort of 
app and, and, and the and the app was the be all and end all. What DMI kind of taught me was it's not just about the app. The app's the mechanism. It's the consumer-driven tool, but it's the it's the bigger picture. It's an omni-channel tech, digital, innovation, mobile uh, sort of um, product, which is going to help people. It's like an extension of people's being, you know, your phone is. And you're enabling that device to do all the useful things that makes your life quicker, easier, um, more rewarding, more enjoyable, more time to do the stuff you want to do, but enjoy the stuff that you're using the app for as well. Uh, And I think so it's much bigger than just an app. It's all about what the app brings to the whole revolutionizing the concept of walking into a store i really think in five years time you'll walk into a store it'll be very unusual to see a till it'll just be you'll just do it with your phone it's like walking into a kiosk and you know amazon goes sort of the the concept car of the far future i think what will happen is i think we'll evolve we'll get the client base in place and we'll evolve into something a bit like that but we'll be our own version of it um because we've already got that client base that and ours is something that's scalable right now in a a big way you know we've got hundreds of new stores coming on board in in q1 next year uh, and the same on the hospitality side too so it's um so it's rapidly um you know the foundation is rapidly building now which is great well well you you mentioned the keyword uh scalability right and uh when it comes to the here and now uh, i would assume that the you know the phone's ringing off the hook for this sort of thing what what are your plans for both uh both of these apps uh, here, here in the in the shorter term, you know, uh, you know whether it's you know any particular part of the globe that that's really really catching on quicker than than others. Or... I actually believe that the US is the biggest, most exciting market for us. I, I know various retail groups. There's a group called Wawa out there. I've met, met Chris Geisens, that the the CEO there, uh, and, and there are all sorts of really dynamic, interesting retailers. But from a tech perspective. Um, I think there's a massive untapped market there. And I think that we have a product, and I've been told by by retailers in the US and by tech companies in the US that we are actually looking at our product a long way ahead of the game. And so that's why with our, our you know partnership in the US with, with DMI, it's a really, really good opportunity um, to, to, you know, sort of be introduced to all the right people in the marketplace over there through DMI's connections and contacts and, and, and DMI's customer base. And, you know, there are all sorts of wonderful people you guys are working with from the airports to various airlines where our app would be amazing. There's endless opportunities. So we've got this strategic partnership with DMI on that front, and we're going to be sort of working very closely together, uh, you know, all over the world, but particularly in the US market. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and on every level. Um, so this is usually the part of the uh, of the podcast where where I ask both of you um, about. Uh, it's called the bookend, right? Uh, what like what you're listening to, who you're following, who's who's influencing you, um, you know, here here and now. So we'll we'll start with you. Okay, cool. So, um, so this is just off the top of my head, and I'm really random like this because I go through phases of being fascinated by different entrepreneurs and reading about them and listening to podcasts. And uh, but, but I then find myself so wrapped up in my own world that I think, no, I don't want to listen to anyone else. I just want to do my own thing and not try and copy anyone else. And you know, and I like to be sort of very, you know, sort of um, impulsive and, and and from my own point of view. Uh, but what I will say is, uh, some of these business books that I've read over time have really stuck with me. One's one's a book called Good to Great. I don't know if you know that by Jim Collins. It's a very famous book. It's all about pivoting, basically, but it was pivoting before pivoting was a thing. It was like pharmaceutical companies moving from um, moving from making the 
the cure to the prevention type thing. And it's, it's really fascinating. Another one is I saw an amazing keynote speaker who was one of the original space shuttle commanders from, from um, Discovery. And he's got a book called Riding Rockets, which is so inspirational, almost about how he faked his way into the shuttle program in the 70s and, and 80s and then and then was, was one of the prototype pilots. Um, but also... I, um, I I collect sort of mantras. This is a bit of a weird thing, but it's they're very much from motivational books, podcasts, and things that I pick up. And even though I run a tech company at all times, and I've got a whole closet full of them. I have this little moleskin notebook, and each one lasts me about three months. And I put all my to-do lists in, all my all my ideas, all my little uh, everything is in there. In fact, I got one here, but I've gone big scale since the pandemic. But in the front of it. I'm giving away all my passwords now. I also put all those in there, which is the wrong thing to do. I took a screenshot, don't worry. Yeah, I write all these little mantras, right, on here, which is basically little things that that, that I pick up, which I absolutely live by. And there are some there are some of my favorite ones. I mean, probably my one of my most favorite ones is just really simple, which is just trust yourself. You know, people, you doubt yourself all the time, but just trust yourself. Just go with it. You, you will make this work and you'll make it right. But also, um, one of my favorite ones that I picked up is um, is you don't drown by falling in the river. You drown by staying there, meaning, you know, stuff's always going to happen, but you also have the power to, to sort it out for yourself. So so things like that. And in the beginning of all my books, I, I scroll, you know, sort of um, write those out just to give myself a little bit of daily motivation. And I, and I, I love all the sort of sayings. Um, and then finally, just to mention a podcast. I have, and it's not because he's my brother-in-law, but I have this crazy brother-in-law. My sister's husband runs a runs an exec jet company, right? And he's got lots of celebrity friends and people he knows. So he does a podcast called Bull by the Horns, which is basically radical people who have taken disproportionate risks and, and how they've achieved things. And, and you know, there was a guy who ran one of the biggest world, world's biggest photo agencies and all, and, and they almost talk about all the things that they did wrong or that were bad or they, you know, things they had to do. And there were, took them right to the brink of failure, but kept on going and risked everything to, to get to where they need to be. Uh, and we've got some investors like that as well. You know, one of the, one of our investors invested in one of the biggest online betting companies and made absolutely millions, but, but nearly lost everything. So uh, I think, it, you know, it, it's all about sort of, for me, it's all about inspiration. And it's all about not letting myself, even if I want to go on a run or something, and it's pouring with rain and it's freezing and the last thing i want to do is go on a run i know i don't even have to think about it. i know i'm gonna even if i'm thinking now i'm not gonna do it i know that in five minutes time i'll just make myself do it anyway um so and so for me it's all about being inspired and, and reading about people or listening to people's stories that are uh, where, where they've done things against all odds basically whatever that might be whether it's an olympic swimmer or a paralympian or whatever it's it, it just you know i find inspiration in, in in everything and that's what motivates me so that's probably a long way of answering the question in, in a slightly inaccurate way. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's fantastic. Aaron, do, uh, who, who do you listen to? Who, who are you uh, following here? So my current podcast, most of my podcasts are actually comedy. So they're a little, they're a little off base. If you want to recommend Tig and Cheryl's True Story is an amazing podcast. It has nothing to do with this conversation. A book that I've actually been reading, Will, which I, after hearing your little speech there, I would recommend is called Grit. It's about really like digging in and finding success through belligerence, putting in the effort. And there was one quote that came out of there that was sort of impactful to me where enthusiasm is common, but endurance is rare. And so everything that Will talked about, like just getting out and getting into the rain and running is not common, like constantly going out there and trying to sell through a product. You don't see that with everybody. People will tend to give up or just think it's not worth it or talk themselves out of it. 
So finding somebody like Will to lead a team who is willing to dig in and keep going just means that that product is going to be that much more successful. And so far, it's been an interesting book, but it seemed applicable to what you were talking about, Will. I'm definitely going to look that up, Aaron. That sounds amazing. You could hear him flipping the page and, and, and uncapping <laughs> unca- unca- the pen. It's funny. you know. And, and, and all of that kind of plays into the original metaphor that I set up this whole call around in, in evolution, where it's not so much, well, it's certainly survival of the fittest to an extent of having those particular traits. But Aaron, what you just touched on was the concept of endurance. Right. So it's it's one thing to have the skill. It's another thing just to have the drive, just to have the pure grit to power through. And I think that this entire storyline is is a testament to that. And not being disheartened by stuff. I was having to just being really open. I was talking to a team the other day and we were having a bit of a difficulty with a customer who wasn't appreciating certain things. It was and the team were a bit down thinking, oh, we've done so much for them. It's so great. And they're not being that friendly. And I just thought, just don't get disheartened by anything. We've got so many opportunities. It will all be fine anyway. But just, I was trying to say, whatever happens, you just take it on the chin, then you sort of keep going. And and that's absolutely key. And, and, And the minute you can get over any kind of disappointment, however big or small it may be, and just use that as a sort of incentive to get on and get things moving on to the next next level, then then just do that, you know? It's about literally not being disheartened, taking everything on the chin and moving forward at all times. You know, what's the worst that can happen? Exactly right. Yeah, that's my favorite mantra, which is closed mouths don't get fed, right? So you got to open your mouth, you got to speak up. And, and to your point, sometimes people don't like what they hear. Sometimes you catch it on the chin, but you just have to keep trying and <laughs> yeah, cool. exactly. You know, exactly. Finding Nemo, uh, just keep swimming. So, you know, th- let me just tell you something. There's a great saying from Finding Nemo. This is one of my favorite mantras, which is it was the producer or, or the director of Finding Nemo who said, if you want someone to hear, shout, but if you want someone to listen, whisper. And it was a really good, in the context of what it means, it's brilliant. It's like, you know, if you really want someone to to listen to what you're doing, don't shout and scream and try and make a big song and dance of it. Just be really methodical about it and, and, and get your point across. But it was just quite nice. I adapted it for, oh, that's it. I adapted it for the Magic Shopping List. For brands like Kellogg's who want to promote themselves, don't scream at them from the end of the aisle, whisper to them from within the shopping list. And they love that. And I thought, oh, I'll definitely have that. So, but it's quite a good way because we have this whole mechanism where brands can promote their brand to customers directly while they're doing their shopping, while they're writing a shopping list. So it's like whispering to them from within their list. That's a mate. That's an amazing way that you've just inspired me to think of that, Adam. That's come really full circle. Well, add, add it to the add it to the notebook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> hey, to both of you, honestly, this has been fantastic. I very, very much appreciate your time. Well, I'm extremely excited for you. I am. Again, very, very much appreciate uh, both of your time. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, the, the conversation here, and I and I very much look forward to uh, you know keeping in touch. Um, you know, well with, with you and, uh, and Aaron as well as, as we move forward here. So, um, with that, I'm going to hand it back over to, uh, our founder and CEO, uh, Sonny Bajaj for our, for our outro, but, but again, thank you for joining us today. Pleasure guys. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for tuning into this episode of beyond digital by DMI. If you like what you heard, please like and share with your colleagues on social media and subscribe to Beyond Digital on your favorite platform. To hear more stories around intelligent digital transformation, visit us at dminc.com, where you can view the show notes from this and other episodes. 
We're grateful for your support as we navigate beyond digital transformation and build the B4B conversation together. Until next time, this is Sonny Bajaj, founder and CEO of DMI, wishing you all the best. Stay digital and stay transformed.